Well, yeah, Gabe, uh, today's podcast, we're going to be uh, talking to Trevor Bronson from Intellects. He's the Director of Portfolio Strategy, so we're going to learn about what that means, and uh, <laughs> we're going to learn a little bit about Intellects and about his career journey, and uh, and and then he's got some great advice on on how to uh, how to position technology implementations for for success within your organization. Yeah, I think this was a really neat interview just to to hear from from Trevor and hear how he got into this profession and was able to leverage it along with another another field, which is in technology and in software, and uh, maybe even uh, had some tips and tricks for people that want to to either move into that type of field with their EHS background, or even for those that want to try and recruit the best of the best from EHS uh, and using the technology platforms and tools to be part of their hiring strategy. So um, really great information and uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, it was, <clears throat> was interesting because a lot of people got into safety accidentally. Right. And, and Trevor, <laughs> Trevor got into it rather intentionally, yes. but, but then he got into the technology side accidentally. So <laughs> right. we, all, we all accidentally, <laughs> we all accidentally end up where we're at. So uh, that's somewhere. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Great. Well, let's uh, let's get this session going. Awesome. My name is Scott Cuthbert. I'm CEO, co-founder of Safepedia, and I'm Gabe Incarnation, VP of BBL Safety. Guess maybe my name is. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, Trevor. Hey, is it me? Maybe it's you guys. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was I was just gonna say we uh, we're super excited to have uh, Trevor Bronson from Intellects today. He's the Director of Portfolio Strategy, and um, I'll, I'll let him introduce himself in a in a second. And and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about his career journey. I know we always get a lot of questions about, you know, what what opportunities are there out there for for safety folks to uh, you know expand their career horizon. So definitely want to talk a little bit about your career journey today, Trevor. And and then um, you know another question that we get quite often is. Um, is you know how do I get executive buy-in or management buy-in, employee buy-in, um, you know for for safety projects, technology initiatives, and, and those sorts of things. And obviously, you've got tremendous amount of experience in that area. So we'll uh, definitely want to be picking your brain on uh, on any insights or uh, uh, kind of ideas, suggestions you've got for for our audience. So uh, maybe I'll I'll turn it over. Sorry, cut you off earlier, but I'll turn it over. And let you do a quick, quick introduction. No worries. I, in hindsight, I should have seen that coming. It made no sense with the flow, did it? But nonetheless, <laughs> here I am now. Uh, yeah, my name is Trevor Bronson. Uh, I'm a director of portfolio strategy uh, at Intellects. We're an EHS software company, been around for 30 years, covering basically the entire EHS space. Before I jump into everything, I want to give you, Scott, and you, Gabe, a big thank you for having me on the podcast today. Really excited to, to talk to you both and, and specifically to talk to this career journey question, because something I am happy that I've... Uh, happy that I've gone on it and happy, really happy about where it's brought me, but something that was totally unintentional and nothing I ever planned for. Uh, I just, it was a really, really happy accident. Um, I started out in college, not knowing what I wanted to do, actually. In fact, the, the college I went to, Rochester Institute of Technology, I went to specifically because it was an engineering school and I decently liked math and, you know, generally liked science and was pretty good at them at high school and thought I'd probably wanted to do something with them, but wasn't sure what. And RIT offered a, a program called University Studies, which was 
more or less the ability to take a bunch of different classes with no specific major, but like directionally take classes and see what, what you liked. Um, and then after that year or so, pick an actual major and invest all your time in that. So <clears throat> I did that. And for a year, I took a variety of different engineering type courses and all, all kinds of things, but nothing really spoke to me or made me feel like I should spend all this money and four years of my life and plan my future for this path specifically. I was talking to my advisor and I said, maybe I wanted to do something in engineering with something more in the realm of sustainability or green energy or something like that. They kind of tied that in the engineering background, but something maybe forward thinking and moral, if you will, or something that was a little different and uh, something I was excited about. So he turned me on to this major they had called Environment, Health, Safety and Sustainability Bachelor's Program. And I thought, okay, that's great. Let me try out a couple of courses in that. And I did. And I really liked it. Now, unbeknownst to me, maybe at the outset of picking this, it was more heavy environment, health and safety, EHS, than it was sustainability. Um, but again, happy accident. I, I liked it and I wanted to stick with it. So I opted to make that my major. Um, over the course of the program, took all the common kind of EHS classes one would take. And one thing RIT did is mandated that you had to do um, internships or uh, there was a different, we called them co-ops there but you had to have at least a year of work experience as part of your program. And I did, and I went to two different um, EHS practitioner jobs. One was more environmentally focused. I worked in an environmental management department and the other was more of an EHS generalist. Um, those two roles really got my feet wet with managing EHS at the practitioner level, right? I combined those work experiences were about a year and a half total actually. Um, so I overdid it kind of in, in the sense of I didn't have to have that much, but I, my first one was lucky enough that they wanted to keep me on on a part-time basis after I went back to school. So I still ended up putting in about 20 hours a week remote for them, you know, remote before everyone did remote um, from the from the cafe. It was really nice, actually. So I didn't have to go get a different random part-time job at the mall or something, right? I could still stay in my field and get this experience while nice. being back at college. Um, so that, that taught me a lot about what it was to be an environment health and safety practitioner. And then after I left school, I did what everyone does and applies to all the jobs they can. Basically, you take your resume and you spray and pray, um, <laughs> see, see who likes you. And I sent it out to a bunch of different, different companies. And the two companies I got the most traction with was this analyst firm called Verdantix uh, that covers the EHS space, which I really didn't know about. But the job description more or less matched what I, what I wanted to do. So I sent them in a resume and there was also another company who I don't remember the name of at this point, but a semiconductor manufacturing facility out in the Bay Area. Um, one of the jobs I had had as an internship was with Tesla. So I was really familiar with the Bay Area, I had family out there. And I, to be honest with you, really wanted to go back and live there full time because I liked the weather. I liked the mountains. I liked the beach. I liked the, the sunshine. It was a very desirable place to be still is. Um, but but Verdantix is the one that got me that offer and everything first. And I said, okay, well, let's go. Let's go take this job and see what happens. Um, you know, you're, you're young. You're just going to do, do what you can and get your feet wet and go that way. Went to Verdantix and I became introduced to this whole software side of the business. I was more or less completely unaware that this universe within EHS existed before I took that job. I We didn't touch on software much or anything really during my college curriculum. Um, I didn't use software that much during my practitioner roles at the, the two previous companies, you know, a little bit here and there, 
but nothing major. And, and maybe I just wasn't involved with it as some of the other full-time people. I'm, I'm not sure. But it just wasn't something I thought of. I never considered it as a career path. I did not go to school for that major thinking I'm going to end up in or even affiliated with at all tech. But uh, what Verdantix did is they offered me the opportunity to really understand this this market to understand the, the commercial side of delivering solutions to EHS professionals. I want to emphasize it wasn't just software they covered, but it was certainly doing research to help EHS people make better decisions, use the tools that were available to ultimately improve outcomes. So by way of working there, I got to know all the major software companies, the major service providers. I really got to think about what trends were impacting the EHS market. And like I said, ultimately, how can EHS people do the jobs better? The reason I was probably hired to do that job in the first place wasn't because I was a good writer, which the job was a lot of. I liked writing, but, you know, just again, I majored in EHS. It wasn't because I was um, coming from some other analyst firm where I knew how analyst firms worked. It was simply because I knew EHS and I knew what the role entailed and I knew what they had to do. And that enabled me to kind of understand then what is going to impact these people moving forward, what tools make the most sense, what are the actual pain points that are worth solving um, and all of that. So, so I spent just, just under four years there. And during that time, it was awesome. It was a really, really good place for someone like me to go. In hindsight, again, lucked into it, but it turned out to be amazing. I made all these great connections. I learned all this about this whole world of technology, about what software can do, about what EHS people are thinking about. Um, and I left that role to go back to the world of a practitioner. I actually had an offer from a, a company called Benjamin Moore. They make paint. And um, in the world of EHS, I would just consider that a chemicals company. It just so happens that the chemicals end up as painted after they're all combined <laughs> in such a way. Um, and to be an EHS kind of systems admin, if you will. So I did a lot of their work in software um, and helped get the most out of the software they already were using, roll out new software and generally just help the EHS program kind of optimize itself, right? That's the whole point of software is to make things more efficient, quicker, to get to insights faster so that you can ultimately make better decisions. I, I emphasize this. I used to, I still do, and I will in the future. Software is nothing but a tool for a job. It is a hammer and a belt. It is the nail to hang the painting. It, it's not the end all. It is the means to an end. Um, so I went there to kind of leverage that their technology to better the, the EHS performance. Um, but I realized when I went there, even though I was working with technology, I missed being a little closer to the technology side of the whole thing. I treasured what I knew about being a practitioner, but I realized maybe the technology space is actually where I was meant to be. So I, I reached out to my network that I had built um, in my previous job at Pedantix and said, hey, I think this is the space I'd like to be. Lucky enough, a lot of the senior people kind of get to know you when you're in that role. And um, I, after some back and forth over a couple of months, was offered a job at Intellects to come help them with kind of their market analysis and understanding and ultimately helping them build a better solution. Uh, and that's where I've been for almost four years now. Uh, May five, four feels like forever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so that's uh, that's kind of the story of my last ten years on Earth. Yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting. Um, <clears throat> like I think you said when we were chatting earlier, it's certainly unexpected journey that you you followed. Maybe just for the benefit of 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 uh, the listeners, just maybe explain what Brudantex is or what what they do. Um, you kind of you touched on it, but I I do think they uh, kind of occupy a unique unique space. Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. So they're they're an independent analyst firm that covers a number of spaces, but one of the bigger spaces that they cover is environment, health, and safety broadly. So the goal of, of Verdantix is much like that of Gartner or Forrester, or if any of the listeners are familiar with that, it's to produce research on the tools available, the management strategies, the market trends, things EHS folks should know to, again, help them do a better job, ultimately, if I have to say it succinctly. Um, I went there, again, because of my understanding of EHS, but when you're at Verdantix, you're, you're writing reports, you're doing competitive assessments. Sometimes we would get uh, an RFP from a company looking for a software and they would say, hey, hey, Verdantix, you know all of this. Uh, you know, we have relationships with these vendors. You kind of really know what they do, what they don't do. Can you help us make the best choice now that you have our goals in front of you? So we would do projects like that. We would kind of forecast the size of the, the EHS software market, which was obviously relevant to the companies themselves or any investors or anything that wanted to play in this market. And all of this, again, I, I want to stress to anyone listening that thinks like, wow, that's that's odd. I did not go because I was good at forecasting markets. I did not go because I knew all of this stuff or how to do this. I went there because I knew this field pretty well, you know, coming out of school, having done a couple jobs. And I could take that, the most foundational element of doing a good job and learn all this other stuff on the fly. And that's what I did. And I, I totally lucked into that. That was not my plan, again, to get to go to a company like that, to learn things like that. Just turns out I really liked it. It married this really niche thing we do in EHS, right? There's not a ton of programs out there in, in the colleges across the US or otherwise that have a major in environmental health and safety. I think there are a little more now than there were, right. but there's still not a ton. Right. It's not something really people think about or know about you know, loosely, someone might know what OSHA or the EPA is, but people aren't on a day-to-day -day worried about compliance with those regulations and knowing, you know, the how far a ladder has to be out from the from the base of the wall to make sure the angles are all right or at what height you have to wear fall protection when you're working in the construction industry or, or things like that. Um, so to marry that real niche set of knowledge that was going to be useful for the track of being an EHS, you know, coordinator and then a, a manager and then a senior manager and a regional director and a ultimately a, a EHS vice vice president or something, I guess is the common career track. That's what it was. That's what it's meant to do and meant to put you on. I just ended up on this weird other path. I, I diverged a little bit and used all that knowledge to, to build myself out in a different direction, um, which again, for me personally, you know, I'm not saying this is what everyone wants to do. Uh, it just really ended up being something that made me excited to come to work. That's pretty cool. I think that's one of the things that's so fascinating about this this profession and this industry too, is that initially you look at it and it's just thinking, okay, well, it's just safety. But there are so many other facets to it that you can go into technology, you can look at PPE, you can look at training, all these different areas where you can actually take a pretty diverse skill set and apply it in this profession. So that's that's pretty amazing that you were able to to go in that direction and see how the use of technology and even your, your analytical skills are actually valuable in, in the EHS space and then even with, with software involved as well too. Um, one of the things that I wanted to, to kind of touch on, which you brought up, and I, I've seen this happen way too many times, is that you, you mentioned about how, how software is the, uh, the, the end all it, for some people. They, they see it as just like, oh, this is gonna solve all of our problems, when in reality, it's just a, it's a tool, as you said, it's the hammer, it's the nail. Um, and so many tech projects have been oversold to EHS professionals, and then they just fall by the wayside because nobody really knows how to use them or whether you're using the right tool um, or do you even know how to swing that hammer kind of thing. <laughs> so, I mean, for, yeah. what are some of the common 
mistakes that you have seen, even as a practitioner from the EHS side, um, that that causes some of these tech platforms and tech solutions to just fail. Yeah, that's such a good call, Gabe. If you go into this thinking, hey, we're going to go buy software and everything's just going to be great, you know, nothing to it. That is the only thing you're guaranteeing is that it will not go great. You will fall on your face. It will look very bad for you. And I don't know what's going to happen, but you're going to create a lot more work for yourself. That's the one thing that will for sure come out of that approach. Right. Um, so, so yeah, you have to, you have to, it, may, it might be easier to answer this question from a, from a, what should you do almost because the inverse is obviously what should you not do if you want a successful project. You need to understand first and foremost, what your goals for this are. You write, why do you have this hammer and nail? Because you want to hang a painting. That's what you're trying to do. So you need to think about it with the outcome in mind. Um, you also need to assess kind of where you're starting from. Okay. What do I have now? Am I replacing a bunch of other software systems with a software that does more things like intellects? Am I um, going from just Excel and we use, you know, Google Docs and Word and stuff. And now I want a digital tool to kind of centralize my documentation. Um, am I going from, am I starting from a, a group of workers that's very tech literate and knows how to use software and can really make the most of this? Or is this going to be these people's first time walking around wherever they're walking around with an iPad or something and doing things like this? Mm -hmm. um, to go back to go back to that first one, right? Thinking about goals. Once the software implementation reaches a certain time frame, let's say a year out from implementation or two years or six, six months, six weeks, it can really be anything. In theory, there should be some sort of overarching goal or metric KPI you set for yourself. And then right. there should be small little building blocks towards that, right? Like crumbs where you can look at and check your performance against what you think your performance should be on whatever metric you deem is important to you. Maybe, maybe it's we want to lower our incident rate by 70%, you know, in, in three years. So to get there, you obviously have to do little increments and hope, hope it's coming down. But maybe it's maybe it's not that. Maybe it's more of an adoption thing. Hey, I want 50% of my employees in my software tool every day. And to do that, I need to make sure people are actually engaging with this stuff um, and leveraging it and getting value out of it and not using it once, then putting it back on the shelf because they hate it. So you need to check your progress towards those KPIs as you go to make sure that if something is going wrong, you can course correct. You know, strategy is not set in stone. I, I work strategy now at Intellex. That's like something I didn't really touch on, even what I do at Intellex. So I'll get back to that. <laughs> but uh, but strategy is not set in stone. You a strategy is simply an, an approach to uh, achieve a goal. And if that approach is not working, and in, in this case, the goal being rolling out software, you need to make you know you hopefully little changes. Hopefully, it's not a huge change. Sometimes, I suppose. But um, you just need to make sure you have a clear understanding of what you're trying to accomplish. Is it going to be the foundation for the entire EHS management system? Is it just an incident management tool? Maybe it's all about environmental reporting. You know, understand what you're trying to do. Then thinking about where you're starting from. I mentioned a couple couple examples, but it really is important to to it helps you identify kind of the scope of work involved to get where you want to be. You want to know where you're going. You want to know where you are now, and you want to be able to really map out what everything looks like in the middle. Now, this is all jumping the gun a little bit. We've done this assuming you've picked the software and are ready to roll it out in the first place. There is a whole lot of things that have to come before you even get to that point where you've you've purchased a software. I don't know if that's the direction you'd like to take this or or not. Um, I'll, I'll throw back to you. I feel a bit rambling. <laughs> yeah, well, I was, uh, sir, I was going to jump in and, and say we, we touched on Verdantics a little bit. I think yeah. everybody knows Benjamin Moore. Maybe, maybe you can... Yeah, talk about your role at Intellex. If if people aren't familiar with uh, with who Intellex is, you know maybe. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So Intellects is an EHS software company. Sometimes we use the acronym EHSQ because we also have quality uh, software. Um, so environment, health, safety, and quality software company. Recently, we also may tack on ESG to that environment, social, and governance because everyone likes to swing that acronym around these days, um, which you know used to be sustainability, which also could be CSR, which could be the triple bottom line. It goes by many names. But nonetheless, Intellects, a software company, been around for 30 years, headquartered in Toronto, Canada, we have 500 employees, and we provide, we have a broad suite of EHS software solutions, which really cover everything an EHS person would need, incidents, audits, inspections, observations, behavior-based safety, waste reporting, air emissions reporting, um, some quality items. The list goes on and on and on. Um, but we try to provide a tool, a tool, remember, to the EHS professional to uh, achieve their goals and, and achieve their desired outcomes. My role at Intellex is the director of portfolio strategy, uh, which really means I'm responsible for driving growth at Intellex, whether that be organically or inorganically. I have a little bit more of a focus on the inorganic side to make our tool ultimately more valuable to the end user. So the reason I am able to do this job and I've been here for five years now is because of that knowledge of EHS as a function that I have from my, my degree and my three practitioner roles I've worked married with my knowledge of the market and the players and the competitive dynamics in the space and this landscape of technologies and solutions that exist that I obtained during my time at Verdantix. I take those two things and combine them basically into one brain and go to intellects and I'm able to kind of think about, hey, this is what the tool should really be if we want to make it the most valuable, the most useful, just the best thing since sliced bread to these EHS professionals. And I need to understand how to do that in the context of operating in a competitive world like enterprise software, right? Software as a whole is a super competitive, fast-moving, dynamic space to operate in. So it's really cool to take that knowledge, this niche EHS knowledge, plus go over to an exciting software world and try to make essentially a better software company, one that provides more value, that does more things, that does them better than other software companies that may have the same goal in mind. Um, so here at Intellex, I'm able to you know, help look for M&A targets, maybe strategic acquisitions we'd want to make to add on to our portfolio of solutions. Maybe it's identifying a partner to work with that, that I think could make the uh, solution better. Recent example is a, a partnership we have with um, Protex AI. They're a computer vision company that basically uses software to go through existing CCTV cameras and identify anything really, but in the in the context of EHS non-conformances. So maybe a forklift came too close to a person or maybe a person's walking around without PPE on or, or a number of things. Um, and you can automatically log those observations, right? And why does that create more value for the EHS professional? Because it makes the process of getting those behaviors of those events that you wanna log and track and trend more seamless, quicker to report on you can have more data, better data, and make better decisions with it. So identifying things like that is part of my role. And then broadly speaking, organic or inorganic or otherwise, just trying to make sure we're doing the right thing, putting the right messaging out there, um, positioning ourselves in the right way, making sure we, we hit the right notes for a given deal. You know, certain people, like I mentioned in the beginning of this call, would want a software consolidation. That's That's the actual project that they have one one tool for occupational health and another one for industrial hygiene and another one for environment and another one for safety. And then over in their Europe region, they have four more tools to cover all those things. And they'd really like to bring them all under one roof. The, the notes you have to sing to make those deals, the messaging for that may be very different than 
what you've talked about when you're just rolling out an incident management tool for someone that's going from Excel. So making sure we position ourselves in the right way to help that EHS professional understand that they're going to get value from the school uh, and going to be happy with the project when it's all said and done. So it's a really, it's a really neat role. It really allows me to, to leverage everything I've learned, which I feel like is so rare, right? I have so many friends and people I know that maybe have gone to school and do something completely unrelated to their degree, or maybe have a job they don't really like, or just do something where they feel like, oh, I'm not really using this. Maybe I'll use a little bit of this. I'm very fortunate to have it all be meaningful and leverage every single day uh, to, to be at my, to be at my job. So it's a really cool gig. Highly recommend it to anyone that, that wants to follow in these footsteps. It's a pretty neat path, at least for me, maybe I'm, I'm nerding out over here, but I really like yeah. it. No, that's, that's cool. And, um, love to see the passion. That's, uh, that's what it's all about. So maybe, and kind of looping back then to, to your earlier, uh, kind of train of thought around the procurement process or the, the, the selection process. And, Keep it in mind that majority of you know of our our listeners, I think, are subscribers at Safepedia are, are small, medium-sized organizations, so they may not be as sophisticated or have as as many folks involved. But if sure. if they're thinking, hey, like I gotta I gotta lose the spreadsheets, I gotta lose the the should be thinking that anyone yeah. listening think that yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So, so what you know what, what what's next, right? Like because I I'm I envision again. I have some experience in the software industry and I've, I've seen it firsthand, <clears throat> you know, the, the director of health and safety for an organization, you know, meets with the salesperson, gets a bit of a demo. They're all excited. You know, they run into the, the board meeting or the senior management meeting. And they're like, Hey, let's, let's right. go spend uh, <clears throat> five figures, six figures, you know, wh whatever it is. And, and this, this software is really going to make everybody's life a lot easier and then, you know, they get the somber looks around the table about having to spend money and, and they start asking some questions about maybe return on investment or total cost of ownership or, how you know, what, what's the resources required, you know, all those sorts of things. And all of a sudden, the, the enthusiasm is, 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 is uh, deflated out of, the, out of that, that uh, balloon yeah. and the, the director has to go back to their office and figure out, you know, what, what to do next. Yeah. Yeah, it's really tricky. Um, the the EHS person is always going to be the champion of the project, right? They understand kind of the the business value of this, but making that case to people that don't have that type of grasp on EHS is really tricky. It, it's traditionally thought of as a cost center. It's not something that creates value for an organization, or at least not in the obvious way people think about a better um, CNC machine creates value by reducing quality defects or doesn't create value by helping you make more sales or something like that. It's, it's a bit more nuanced than that. So when you're trying to make the case to people that may not understand why EHS software is needed, you can do a, a number of things and it, it's situationally dependent, right? The answer to any hard question is it depends, but it really does depend on, on what you're going for and what you think you can do. So the first and most obvious way that people will think about is probably going to be traditional ROI, return on investment. How can I find a way to quantify the benefits of having EHS software or having this software versus my current software or having any software over spreadsheets? People always jump to that because for those high level people that may ultimately be signing the check, you know, that five figure, six figure, seven figures I've seen check for these type of projects, you want them to understand what they're getting for their money. So you can think about a couple of ways to do that. There are a handful of levers to pull. One of the obvious ones is time savings. This is especially relevant 
if you're coming, you know, maybe you mentioned the small and medium-sized organizations that are listening to this, this one can be very useful if you don't have technology today, whether you're doing it in Excel or uh, on uh, like the Google Docs, like I said, or maybe you're, you're walking around with a clipboard, maybe you're using an abacus to do calculations. I'm not sure how you're doing it, but if you're going from not having technology to having technology, think about the time savings that you're going to have using a digital tool to aggregate things, analyze things, not have to duplicate reporting. You don't have to go write it in the field and then come back and put it in the computer. You're not sitting there trying to format a weird Excel sheet and, and sending it all around to a bunch of different stakeholders to follow the, the workflow you've set out for managing an incident from reporting the incident to solidifying the details, to doing the investigation, to conducting the root cause analysis, to assigning your corrective and preventive actions, to following up on those corrective and preventive actions, to seeing if you've actually reduced incidents and is this all trending down? If you don't have a tool, I just, that process I just explained is, is months. It is months and it is emails and it is errors and it is people on vacation and someone left the bill and, and now you haven't done anything. So to have a tool for that can save you so much time. Now, saving time doesn't inherently mean save money, but what it does is it frees up time to think more strategically, to do things that are actually going to improve your EHS program, which in my experience as an EHS practitioner, I felt like everyone I worked with, that's what, that's what we all wanted to do. We like to sit there and spend our time thinking about and implementing programs that would improve the overall EHS posture of your organization. But it feels like a lot of days are just spent putting out fires, you know, sometimes literally. It's, it's, it's a checklist this, it's an inspection over here, it's a safety buy off there, it's, it's the thing of the day that you're dealing with, you know, it's walking around doing PPE stuff, you, you want to actually take a step back and be able to manage strategically manage EHS, not just tick the boxes every day to try to keep your head above water. So to save up to save your time from this administration of EHS, to strategically managing EHS is really awesome. And the equation for that is simple, right? You figure out how long it's going to take to do something figure out how much time you think that software is going to save you, put a value on that time, whether it be a, a wage of that employee, um, hourly wage could be a salary, it doesn't matter. And, and think about the different wages too of people that are using software. The, the time savings for a, a floor worker may have a different salary range than the time savings for the actual EHS professional. So if you want to get specific about it, you can do you can do it that way to kind of figure out the ROI of the time you're going to save having this tool. The other and I'll, I'll pause after this one, but the other most obvious way to track ROI of these things is to just say, hey, we're having a lot of incidents or pick any negative event. And it's really costing us. You know, incidents have direct cost and indirect costs to them. Could be compliance violations. Um, you know, so the fines that come with that, it can be uh, loss of production, which is kind of an obvious one to check too, if you have to shut down the, the line because you had a safety incident. But think about retraining someone after maybe someone gets hurt. Thinking of, think about the lack of productivity that person is going to have as they go throughout their return to work program, where they're at first only kind of working at 30% capacity, then 60% capacity. Think about maybe legal fees on the tail end. Think about, especially in today's day and age, reputational damage that's going to come from a slew of incidents at your facility. There are so many costs to an incident. You can do your best to quantify those costs. Now, some companies will know them outright. You know, They know what an incident really costs them when it comes to workers' compensation insurance, what it really costs to loss of production. Or you can use a proxy. There are plenty of really good resources out there to give you an estimated number of what an incident really costs a company. The National Safety Council has a really nice webpage on this. Um, um, so you can do that and kind of use it to figure out if we reduce incidents by 50%, maybe that's the goal. Uh, what, what does that look like money savings? And that one, 
honestly is probably maybe a little more compelling to those execs because look, poor EHS performance is costing us a million dollars a year. The software is going to cost us a hundred thousand dollars a year, and it's going to reduce our spend on incidents by five hundred thousand dollars a year. Congrats, you're making money. Um, that one's really, really easy to understand. So that's what's interesting about this to me too is that you, since you've got your background in EHS and as a practitioner, mm -hmm. are are you mm -hmm. looking at the software and software solutions in such a way where it's almost like you're you're figuring out your wish list as an EHS professional? Maybe you would go in there and and understanding what you were looking for as someone that was maybe on the floor or had mm -hmm. that actually had to use the equipment or I'm sorry, use the software and you're able to bring a very unique perspective, which is that maybe at the executive level, people are looking at, at the software and doing that same math that you just did on, on the ROI. But we all know it never works out exactly that cleanly. And especially when you give it to the hands of the people that are supposed to implement the software or supposed to train people on it, uh, that it, it, it gets really muddy really fast. And I think that's where a lot of, of our listeners' frustrations can come in which is that it's maybe the executive management has gotten this, this pitch, they have the software, they think it's going to solve everything. And then they never really involve the EHS professional in the actual discussion. So what are the ways where you as a, as a practitioner of it have come in and brought your perspective to be able to either translate for the executive management or back to the other EHS professionals that are part of the companies? What are the what are the things that you're bringing in based on your background that you can help people to succeed in in implementing some new technology in their work workplace? Yeah, you have to you have to as an EHS professional be really plugged in. You're obviously the the champion of the project in the beginning, but that's it's again getting that ball to the or getting getting the um, software purchased and deciding we're going to roll this out. You know, you're at the fifty yard line. We, we talked about right. football before we press the record button here, so we'll <laughs> use some football analogies. Um, you're, you're the 50 yard line. There's a lot of work to do. So you need to make sure that project goes off without a hitch. You as that EHS professional know exactly how this is supposed to be used. You know, you, how do I say this in the, the correct way? Doing that ROI analysis I just talked about is trying to get the buy-in from people that don't necessarily understand the actual value of this to, on the day-to-day. -day. You're just trying mm. to give them a, a, something that makes sense in their language. And that's super important for getting buy-in. You need to speak the language of the stakeholder you're speaking to. But when it comes back to implementing the software and really getting the value out of it, now that's that's your wheelhouse, right? That's You know what it's going to look like when the audit program is really singing. You know what it's going to look like when the incident management program is, is just going exactly how you always envisioned it to go and you're actually reducing risk. So you want to make sure that you are talking to the people that you're asking to use the software, right? An EHS professional may be the person at the desktop thinking, looking at the data and understanding what to do with that data in front of them. But they may not, that's probably not the same person that's on their phone or on a tablet at the line you're asking to do in observations. That's just, you know, Suzanne down there that, that you're asking to keep an eye on things and then log a behave, an unsafe behavior if they see it. So right. think about the usability of the software on their end. If they're having any problems, be very on top of it, be over available. You know, you want to... We, I've seen so many implementations go wrong because it at first seems like it's more of a hurdle to getting the job done than something that's actually helping. You roll it out and you 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 get the feeling that you've introduced an extra thing into the day in the face right. of what is surely an already tight production quota in the face of 
they don't have extra time. They weren't just sitting around waiting to use the software. Like that's not what they need. What they need is something that makes the job easier. So you need to make sure that that software you are using is optimized for the user, like the real user that's ultimately going to put that data in to allow you as the EHS person to make those better decisions. So make sure to keep them in mind when you're when you're making the software decision in the first place. You know, UX, UI is something that's always super, super, super important to any software that even we all use as consumers. And the case is exactly the same, if not a little more over-indexed for EHS software, because sometimes a lot of the people that are using this may not be people that are super, super familiar with a piece of software that can't just pick up pick up an iPad and kind of intuitively know how these things work. They may need a little more training. So make sure whatever software you're choosing is built with that in mind, that aware the awareness of that problem. Um, and then as you implement, I mentioned it in the earlier, but course correct, you know what you're actually trying to achieve. You need to have actual numbers or something you can lean back on to say, is this working? Are, are we getting more data? Are, are our risks going down? Are, we, are our incidents trending down? Are people trained more? Are we seeing less near misses? Anything, I, I, you could rattle, sit here and rattle off them for the, the rest of the call. But um, make sure you're keeping a really close eye on that, especially in the beginning of the project. And if you really want to go crazy and be the real MVP of this, think about all those things, but not just from the EHS department side, right? You're the EHS person. That probably means you have a pretty tight relationship with operations. You probably have a decent maybe relationship with people in the supply chain that you're thinking about their safety. Make sure you're thinking about them as the stakeholders too. Is this helping you? Uh, Less incidents equals more uptime should equal better performance on the engineering operations side of things. Think about how you can make it so everyone is everyone is singing the same notes, um, that this software is not just seen as this random tool that the EHS department used. But this is really part of the company operating more safely, obviously, but more efficiently in a better way that makes the stakeholders in the company happy, the shareholders happy, that makes ultimately the employees happy and safe and valued and all of that. There's just a lot to think about, but I think it really comes down to know who your stakeholders are, understand their concerns, see this project from their point of view in the beginning and in the middle and in the end. And if you do all those things, you'll probably end up with a pretty decent project that, that ends up how you want it to end up. And if it's not going how you want it to go, how you wanted it to go, you'll have visibility into that way before it's too late, because there's plenty of times where I've seen it be too late. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I was going to say, I mean, you touched on something I think um, I'd like to loop back on, obviously, and, and dig into a little bit, because I think that that's, um, like, you, you talked about the frontline person having mm -hmm. to learn, you know, a new tool and right. maybe, maybe collect more data than they collected in the past, right? So I think that um, you, you talked about making sure you know what your objectives are and why you're doing this and what you want to accomplish. And I think it's important, um, <clears throat> you know, for, for the safety practitioner or whoever's, you know, part of that steering committee for the, for an implementation to recognize that you might require more resources in some areas than, than you have in the past to get it up and running. So rather than expecting mm -hmm. people to do it off the side of their desk, <clears throat> you know, have, have, have additional resources available to kind of get it up and running. Because I think an important fact, at least my experience that, that some people don't recognize is that it, it might it might be making big improvements for the organization at a high level, more, right. more visibility, more data, 
more more predictability in 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 operations but it might be making somebody's job a little more difficult than it was in the past right like bringing bringing new technology in as an example doesn't mean that it'll magically make everybody's role easier and i think it's important to understand that and then when those complaints are raised rightfully so hey i'm doing more work than i used to it's yes, this, th and this is why you're doing more work than you used to. And, and this is what we're going to do to support you going, mm -hmm. going forward. So I, I don't know if you can. Um, That's it's, I think the bit, one big thing I always recommend in this situation, right? If, if you're introducing someone that just, there's no way around it, you cannot, you want to make it as seamless as you can. So you want to make something be three clicks instead of 17 clicks. And you want to make sure it works every time, you know, maybe it's instead of having to download the checklist before you go out on the floor, put a QR code on the machine, and scan it when you get there and, and make it easy to use first and foremost. But that is, in a sense, obvious. If you're going to ask people to do something, they want to be rewarded for doing it. They want to feel like I'm doing this for a purpose. So if I ask you to put in some observations and record this stuff, and if you see a if you see a board laying across the floor that's a trip slip ball hazard, take a picture of it. Or if you see you know someone mopping and then put a wet floor sign up, take a picture of it. Or if you see a machine left unguarded, take a picture of it. You get maybe five pictures they'll take before they stop taking pictures if they don't see anything happen with that. If they just do this and send it out into the atmosphere, it's like yelling off a mountain and they don't they don't see anything from it, they're gonna stop doing it because you're asking them to take time out of the day to do something for what? For why? So you need to make sure there's a there's a loop, there's a bi-directional kind of feedback loop here where if they're taking the time to participate and use this tool that you are putting out there to ultimately make them safer, right? The intent is, is noble, um, but you need to make sure they're seeing the benefits of this. So that could be in the form of gamifying this, you know, and tracking who submits what and making sure there's visibility into how, how much you're using the system and get people engaged that way. It could be thank yous, like literal thank yous as you walk the floor. Hey, I saw you submitted this. I want to say, I really appreciate you taking the time to do that. You know, I want you to let you know that we we fixed that issue. We solved for that problem, that risk two hours later because of your thing. We wouldn't have seen that otherwise. And now it's a safer place for you to work. And everyone wants to work in a safe place. Um, make sure that they're seeing the value out of their usage. I keep them engaged because if they're doing things and they never see, if they take a picture of that cord and it doesn't move for three days, they will not take a picture of the cord the next time, you know, so that you have to be on top of it. That's the biggest, that's really maybe the biggest thing when it comes to a successful implementation, relying on other people to be part of this project for you. The EHS people get it. The other people don't. You need to make them get it, make them see the value. I think especially early on, I mean, you, you mentioned it too, there's that learning curve. And so when people are using a new piece of software or even a new training, a new method of, of doing something, uh, having that come into play, it is going to feel like it's a hindrance to them. Because it's new, mm -hmm. it's it's it, you, it takes some time for that muscle memory to kick in, and a great way to do that, as you said, is to be even even be able to say this is why this is important to do this for someone who's maybe on um, on the production floor to be able to say, okay, well, we're going to reduce our incidents by X number because then we'll get more contracts for for mm -hmm. the, for the company. Okay, that's maybe not their priority. That's not what's going to float their boat, but to understand that, hey, by using this, we're actually able to fix these issues faster, which will make work better for you as you're doing it, then, okay, now you're tapping into something that is meaningful and valuable for them. So I, I like that concept of being able to translate the benefits 
based on who the, the stakeholder is at that point, whether it's the CEO, the EHS professional, or the worker on the production floor. They all have their own motivations, their own desires of what to do with it. And not again, not saying that that the software is the, the be all end all, it's merely a tool, but for people to see, here's how the tool is actually going to help you and, and get you uh, accomplishing that thing that you want. Right. I, I think that's a huge challenge to be able to, to translate that, but the benefits of it are massive. Huge, absolutely huge. And you brought up a really good point there, Gabe, too, that we are asking someone to do something, right? We, we Let me frame this differently. We talk a lot about safety culture, as does anyone in the safety space. Right. You go to an event, there's going to be a couple of speak, speeches on safety culture. You go to an Alexa's website, you'll see us talking about safety culture. You go to anywhere in the safety world, safety culture will come up at one point or another. Not It's not if, it's when. Uh, and that's important because safety culture really can drive an organization to achieve that level of safety excellence they they surely want. And safety culture is important because you need them to make the safe choices, right? When no one's watching, when it doesn't matter, when there's some other goal in mind. You that's that's the the holy grail of safety is making sure that everyone does their job, whatever their job may be, thinking about how can I make sure I do this in a way that prioritizes safety over like maybe a speed of production or something. I'm rushing to hit a quota, so I'm going to take a risk and I fell off a ladder and I broke my leg. Well, it wasn't worth it, was it? You know, you want to make sure you make those decisions. So that's important to keep in mind in the context of rolling out software or anything or, or, or anything, just EHS management in general, because the person that you're asking to make that safe decision, the first person they're going to think of when they're making any decision at work is their boss. Is right. who do they report to? Who are they? trying to please, if you will, or who's responsible for their annual review, right? The EHS VP could come out there and talk about safety culture all they want. That's great. And, and hopefully it strikes a chord and that's awesome. They understand why safety culture is important and kind of how to make it happen. The CEO and the senior execs can come out and talk about safety and how it's such a big deal to our organization. And we really put safety first and here's a t-shirt and on the back, it says safety first and aren't we great? You know, we are just the best company that really thinks about safety. But in that moment, when there is a real decision to be made, when someone is about to maybe rush or do something they shouldn't or say, you know what, I don't need safety glasses for this because I've got to get it done before I go home. Um, they're going to be thinking of their boss first. They're not going to think of the EHSVP. They're not going to think of the CEO. They're going to think of what is my boss going to think about this? Well, they think I'm making the right decision. So if you really want safety culture to exist throughout the organization, you need to make sure that that person's boss and then that person's boss's boss, and then you see where this is going, are always going to reward those people for making mm. the safe choice. That is the way that you actually implement an entire safety culture when it comes to software, especially being part of that, make sure that you have that kind of chain of command with people saying, here's why you should use this. Here's why it matters. Really excited to make this part of how the company operates for the ultimate betterment of the workplace. So I think, I don't know, that that's something that I think is really important, maybe sometimes overlooked. It, Everyone knows it has to come from everywhere, but not everyone stops to think about what that actually means in that one moment. It, all it takes is one mistake. Everyone right. knows this one moment, one fall off the ladder, one crutch by, one whatever, um, one moment. So in that one moment, who are they thinking about and what decision are they going to make? Hmm. I was wondering if we can loop back to career a little bit for, for a second. I know we're, we're getting close to the end here, but... Um, I think you have an interesting perspective, you know, the, the your journey that you shared. So maybe, you know, just just quickly, just two things. Maybe you could touch on 
kind of the trends you're seeing, right? So I think there's probably a lot of folks out in, again, small, medium-sized organizations still using sure. manual processes or spreadsheets. Mm -hmm. um, you know, are they the only ones still doing it? You know, is is there 80% uh, of small, medium-sized organizations still manual looking to technology? And then, um, so that's question number one. And then question number two is is the <clears throat> the career, uh, career advancement or career opportunities. We've talked, I think even, Back when you were uh, speaking at Safety Connect in in 2020, we talked a little bit about technology itself is not replacing safety professionals, but safety professionals who understand how to leverage and and bring technology to an organization will replace, you know, safety folks who don't. So yeah. So if if we could talk a little bit about those maybe macro trends that you're seeing, and then you know any experience you have with seeing people, you know, people embracing. You know the implementation being that MVP within their organization, and what kind of opportunities or doors that that opens for them as far as career advancement goes. Yeah, those are those are two really important points. The second one, especially, so I'll lead into that with the first one. At medium and small organizations, penetration it's going to vary, but let's let's peg it to like forty five percent or so. And it's hard because in the world of EHS, you can use software at one plant or in one region and not use it at another. Or you can use software to do one part of EHS, you know, maybe you use it for incident management, um, but you're not using any software to actually do your root cause analysis, or you're not using it to do your uh, waste reporting or something like that. So saying you have, you're penetrated or not when it comes to EHS software is a tricky thing to discern. And trust me, as a person that's responsible for strategy at a software company, I spend a lot of my time thinking about how to assess the penetration of software at companies <laughs> we like to sell our software to. It's a real pain. But you have to think about it like that. So to put maybe some organizations at ease that may think they're missing the boat or something, there are so, so many companies still doing this the old-fashioned way. And and some of them, honestly, I've seen have made it work okay. There you if you're really good at that, you know, Excel and Google Sheets and and whatever, and maybe maybe you had IT build you a homegrown system or something. If you really pay attention to it, I'm not going to sit here and say you can't do it well. I'm not saying people that are using that are in the stone ages. They're not. You can make it work. You'll inevitably hit a ceiling, though. There is just certain things where it will get too difficult to do. You will hopefully want to grow beyond that, and you'll need some sort of tool that's a little more dedicated to that. Um, so you need to think about that. Now, it's this is not only a thing for small and medium-sized organizations. Overall, yes, the penetration is absolutely less. For those types of organizations, they are going to be more likely to be using pen and paper, which when I say pen and paper, I often don't literally mean pen and paper, just not commercial software, because it can be expensive. Sometimes it is a literal pen and paper, but oftentimes not. Um, it can be expensive. Uh, it can be a pain. You have other things you need to focus on first. What limited budget you have is going to those projects that are more obviously going to help the company. If I, the EHS person say, hey, I need $200,000 for software. And the engineering team again says, hey, I need $200,000 for a new asset that's going to make us produce this widget 3x cheaper and 2x faster. Guess who's getting that $200,000? You know, <laughs> exactly. so you need, you know, you need to really understand that, that it's a common problem that a lot of a lot of companies face, but it's not just SMBs, big organizations. We've probably all learned this over the course of our careers. Things are rarely as buttoned up as they seem once you get to the inside. So there are plenty of big names, household names that you would think they must really have just the best of the best. They're also using pen and paper. They're also kind of doing this held together by duct tape and bubble gum sometimes. They're, they're all trying to make their way out there. So no one should ever feel like they're behind when it comes to using technology. 
But to get to the second part of your question, Scott, you it's a huge opportunity to really nail these projects. You as an EHS, this is one thing I like to do when I'm thinking about how to provide more value as, as a software vendor or someone that works there. Obviously, I have perspective from working in EHS, but I always like to just pull up a bunch of EHS job descriptions, VP to director to associate to intern, you name it. What is on that description? This is your job responsibility. What are those 10 bullets? What are they asking? So when you're trying to execute on those things, which is usually some combination of make sure the safety program is you know, overarching and, and covers everyone, make sure you're improving on our, our key metrics, whatever those metrics may be, make sure everyone is trained accordingly, um, make sure that you work you know, closely with the various teams uh, in the company. Um, you you want to do those things better, insert the tool for the job, right? And that's where software can help you ultimately be a better professional and excel in your career. You can try to achieve those same outcomes with Excel, pen and paper, whatever, but to have a dedicated tool is going to make you achieve those goals better. Now, this is something I've talked at, at a couple of events about recently, but the the onset of ESG is something that's taking this to a bit of a, a new level, the visibility and the career trajectory for the EHS professional. EHS, like we mentioned earlier, and this is common knowledge, right? The cost center thing. It's just not the sexiest place that you can possibly work in an organization, maybe, or the people that's that's not what they think about when they're trying to bring talent up to the organization. I do think that pendulum is swinging a little bit, but it's, it's, it's a slow pendulum, okay? It's swinging through like a field of molasses, but it's getting there. ESG is bringing this really cool, interesting opportunity because ESG is something that really gets talked about at the highest levels of an organization. They're talking about it in the boardroom. They're talking about it on calls with analyst firms. Your, your CEO is going on CNBC and talking about it. Everyone is thinking about this, but when it actually comes to tactically managing ESG, you know what, what goes into these ESG reports? A lot of stuff, first of all, an insane amount of stuff. But a lot of that stuff is EHS related. In fact, it's a lot of the metrics that these EHS professionals have been thinking about on a day-to-day -day basis for a long time. Uh, and a lot of these safety professionals specifically have been thinking about for a long time, whether it be how are we treating our people? How are, how are we making sure safety is a thing that we think about in our supply chain? What are these actual metrics? If you look at the the, the big ESG regulation coming out of Europe, CSRD, put in by the EU, which is going to be rolled out here in 2025 for the 24 reporting year, I think. Um, there are sections in that mandatory report that just asks you for your safety metrics. That's someone will tell you CSRD is all ESG reporting. I'll tell you there are questions that are just traditional old incident reporting in that, you know, and that you can expand that. There's a lot of things like that. So because this has so much visibility, you go back to a company level, who's managing this? A lot of it's going to be the EHS person that's tasked with this. But now the metrics that you're pulling and the reason that you're pulling them take on this new meaning, this new value of something that drives not just kind of sort of value, kind of have to make the case value, let me figure out how to you know make these numbers work value, real value to the organization, whether it be in stock price or talent or competitiveness or all this stuff. So because you as the EHS person are now responsible for managing that, you have a the bigger seat at the table, or maybe a seat at the bigger table, depending on your organization, it depends on the culture there. You have this ability to have so much more visibility into what you're doing and the importance of it, that it is it is such an opportunity for the EHS profession in general and their careers. They can go a whole new direction with things. They'll be able to be more seen, more resources will be allocated to them, which should drive better performance, which should drive more resources, which should drive better performance. On and on we go. Um, you know, there's, there's, it's just really exciting because the, the, the occupation 
has not had many kind of paradigm shifting moments like that, where it truly shifts. Some new technologies come in, a new reg might come out. Maybe your company goes through a digital transformation or something, but this is something that's really expanding the role. And it's not just me coming on here and saying this because Intellex has software for all this stuff, right? That, that's the easy. I've talked to so many EHS professionals that talk about my role literally got an extra S tacked onto it. It used to be VP of EHS. Now it's VP, EHS, and S because my company's asking me to do this stuff. My department just got split into something else. And now not only do I manage the environmental team and the safety team, I also have to manage the sustainability reporting team. This is really happening. Um, and it's really neat. Honestly, it's really, really cool uh, that, that it's happening right now that we get to be a part of it. Uh, and I'm excited from the vendor side of things. EHS practitioners should be excited. Everyone should be excited. So, and it, what's really neat about this too, is that, as you said, there's, I think you, you mentioned this early on in the, on our, mm -hmm. our discussion, which was that there were, that there are more and more people coming out of school uh, yeah. with EHS backgrounds, whereas, yeah. you know, in the past people kind of just stumbled into it and guess what you had like an incident or something like that. And you're now the safety professional that's in our in our, uh, our company. Uh, so, so it happens so many times, doesn't it? People, it I, I, tons of times. I'm a chemical engineer. I work security. I did, yep. I don't know what, I, I was with the front desk person, but now I manage the, the safety program. Um, exactly. You know, there's, it happens all the time. Who's going to do this? Uh, you. Yeah, You're gonna do you, you get to do it now. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. what's kind of neat about this too, is that you, now you have people that are coming out of school or jumping into this career uh, specifically because of EHS and because of that EHS background, and they have more of these tools available. Now, I think as people are getting into the profession at this stage, they are going to be more used to having technology be part of 100%. the place where they are working. So do you see that as, as even a draw for, for recruiting, for, for organizations that if they have a, uh, a, an EHS program that is a little bit more built out, that they have technology tools in place, is that more attractive for EHS professionals that are coming in and essentially for organizations, they will get higher quality, better, you know, more knowledgeable people coming in because they have some of these tools in place. A thousand percent, a million percent. No one at the core of it, whether it be EHS or anything, no one wants to go to a job where you're kind of set up to fail or right. going to have a tough <laughs> go of it, right? You want to go to a job where you feel like, hey, I can really go in and make an impact. And software is one of those ways where you can drive an outsized impact on, on mm -hmm. what you're doing. So you as a company, you want to attract people. EH, this is actually a good talent attractive, you know, attractive just like mechanism for any person that's coming into the company because they want to know you're taking care of them. But for EHS people specifically, the subject of this conversation, you want to go somewhere which is using the best of the best, which has the most fun toys to play with, you know, which has the shiny right. bells and whistles that you can really use to do your job well. Like you said, people coming out of school right now expect technology. They expect mm. to have a tool for this. If they come into a role where you're doing this with Excel, they will roll their eyes, they'll groan, and they'll do the job for a little bit and probably either leave and go somewhere else that has technology or force you to get it. So, you know, you can, I guess, wait or get it now or or lose the person to keep doing this. Mm. Um, it's something that allows these professionals, these, these up-and-coming EHS professionals to do their job well, to be thinking strategically. I, Again, I, everyone, I guarantee, always wants to, to, do, to, to think more high level at their job. It can allow them to do that. And you want, ultimately, the people at your company that are eager and excited, enthusiastic, not just to fill out reports all day, but to think about what can make that EHS program better. Give them that time, you know, use software to do it, uh, and you'll have better talent at the end of the day. These EHS people will, will want to stay at your company more. They'll, they'll do a good job for you. It's a win-win.
that's awesome. Yeah, it yeah. is. <clears throat> yeah, that's fantastic. And I, I you know, I, I uh, de definitely couldn't couldn't agree more. If you want the top talent, you gotta you don't have to have the uh, you know the AI robots running around in the factory yeah. just <clears throat> just yet. But you need you need something for them to really jump into and get a hold of and and feel like they're they're using their four year degree. <laughs> Uh, not, yeah. not just following a checklist on a, on a pad of paper or an Excel spreadsheet, right? So, um, yeah, absolutely. Good. I was listening to a podcast actually, I think it was Freakonomics or something. They're talking about AI and everyone's talking about chat GPT right now and all of that. And, and we're all thinking about it and it will take our jobs and, and all of this stuff. Um, you know, you need to think about, first of all, probably not. Second of all, but you need to think about technology in the way that are you trying to get something to replace a person? Because if that's the ultimate goal you're trying to achieve, that's the goal you'll work towards. And that may be the goal that you end up with, you know, the outcome you end up with. Or are you trying to roll out technology to help people do better? And that's what EHS technology is. It's not to replace anyone or displace the EHS professionals to help the EHS professional be a better EHS professional. So I think that's really key when you're rolling out any kind of technology product or building one in my case, um, make them a better worker, make them able to do their best work. That's what we're all, that's what we're in service of. Yeah. And I, I think the earlier comment as well, if you are <clears throat> with, with that, 50% or more of small, medium, and even maybe large organizations haven't yet adopted technology to its fullest. If if yep. you have that opportunity to get involved in a technology project, then you're going to be in high demand in, in the not too distant future when eventually, yeah. you know, these companies go to make those, those decisions. So if you're looking at career advancement opportunities or just, you know, how to change things up, you know, uh, definitely follow Trevor's advice on, Talking to the stakeholders, you know, getting that buy-in, you know, making sure you have a super solid plan on on what you want to accomplish and following that plan and circling back on it. And if you have a successful uh, software implementation, then you will definitely be the MVP and and uh, many, many other companies will, uh, will want to grab a hold of you for sure. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Great. Well, thanks so much for your time, Trevor. It's always a, a huge pleasure talking to you. Um, you talked a little bit about your journey. This is totally off topic, but I remember when we started Safepedia and we were like, oh, wouldn't that be amazing if we had intellects as a customer? <laughs> and so <laughs> just you just when you, you talked about your journey, I just made me think about ours. And so <clears throat> it's uh it's it's such a great honor to have you here today and to have intellects uh on, on the podcast and, and as a strategic partner of uh, Safepedia. So thanks for everything you guys do. The pleasure has been all mine this uh, this past hour. It doesn't even feel like work. This feels like I took a little break, got to have a fun conversation uh, <laughs> and I have to get back to my, my day job here. So uh, <laughs> nice. no, I really I really appreciate the time from you guys. I, I love coming on here. I love the partnership um, and and I love talking about this stuff and, and hopefully helping everyone listen to it, uh, be, a, be a better EHS professional, right? And, and do a better job and have better outcomes. So thank you again for the opportunity. Really appreciate it. Oh, that's yeah, awesome. Thanks we'll, so much for joining us. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, Gabe, to jump in. I was just going to say we'll share out your contact details so people can uh, maybe hit you up on, on LinkedIn. Um, I'm sure lots of people have questions about, okay, well, that sounded good, but how do I do it in, in, in practice, <laughs> sure. you know? Um, but, sure. but also, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to volunteer you a little bit as well. Like, I know you're super busy, but you're very generous, you know, and very knowledgeable. And I would encourage people if they're contemplating a career change or, thinking about getting more into the technology space that, uh, you know, sending Trevor a note on, on LinkedIn. I'm sure he, I'm sure he would be gracious enough to reply and help <laughs> out and give, give his advice. So uh, I would, I would love, love, love for people that have EHS practitioner experience um, that have a background in the role to, to come over and join us at Intellects. Um, we 
can never have enough people that not only are excited about technology, but really know who that technology is for. That is for any tech, especially EHS though, this niche world, that's how you make the software better by really knowing how the end users are going to use it and what actually creates value, what a real good software tool means. So yeah, if you want to do that, um, message me, I will help you out as much as I can. Great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Gabe. Really appreciate it.